Uh, episode two of Coach's Corner. Oh, we already got two people on. What's up? And uh, it was episode three. I'm about to say you tripping. Three, two, yeah, three. Okay, three. three. Episode three. That's fine. It's been a long week. So episode three, and I know we're doing. Um, I'm gonna forget my own topic now. This is professional. Um, are you just showing up, or are you putting in the work? <laughs> I've probably watched it. That's fine. So, uh, so Lester, since you're last one in, you can start. <laughs> All right, I guess that works. Um, <laughs> um, so just um, to kind of jump right in, uh, I know he said the topic is like, are you actually putting in the work, or are you just showing up? And that is a big question um, to be asking yourself because. Um, that and that goes along with anything you're doing in life, not just the gym. Um, but let's just use the gym for an example. Um, I've seen plenty of people at, like, um, let's say, uh, Planet Fitness. Um, you go in and they're doing more sitting or more talking, um, more taking pictures of themselves, or anything of that nature. They're doing a lot of stuff but working out. Um, and so did they go to the gym that day? Yeah, they went. Um, did they accomplish anything? I mean, if they, if their goal was to talk to someone then yeah, they, they accomplished that, but they didn't actually get anything done is lifting weights wise. So, um, there's, um, you have to make sure even when you push yourself enough to get to the gym or push yourself enough to, um, like pushing yourself in business or something like that. Even if you're just showing up, that's, that's not enough. Like you have to actually put in the work um, to get the goals that you want. Yeah. Um, kind of piggyback off of uh, Lester there. I'm going to take the approach as a coach slash athlete, because I can, I can see, uh, I have to talk to myself sometimes uh, because when I'm in coach mode, I'm on top of people being like, all right, when you're in here for this hour or so amount of time or less than an hour, we're going to make the best of it the whole time because you have a goal to hit no matter what phase we're in in the training, either, either if we're in season, postseason, preseason, what have you, we have a goal that we need to hit. Not necessarily we want to max out to a certain amount, but we want to make sure we're in the, uh, the you know, the best shape of that we should be in by the time we get to season. We want to make sure that we're, uh, condition well. We want to make sure that uh, we've been doing plyometrics like we're supposed to. We want to make sure, you know, we've been hitting weights like we want to. If there is a standard as far as a goal, like say for me as an athlete, uh, being a liquid weightlifter, I know what other people in my weight class are doing. Am I anywhere close to where they're at? Am I anywhere close to making a record? Am I anywhere close to actually not embarrassing myself when I get on the platform type stuff? Am I doing what I need to do? If I'm skipping stuff uh, every once in a while, that's not going to help me out. Like if I, uh, you know, I, I work long hours, I train people all day and then I have to train myself. And then I'm like, ah, you know what? I'll just add it to the next day. Is that actually me putting all the effort that I need to do that day? No, because every day compounds off of each other. You shouldn't be taking things off and trying to move it to the next day. Unless, I mean, there's different circumstances, but I mean, in general, as fact of, I'm too tired. I just don't want to do it factor. Uh, but also, you know, just in general, uh, we need just, you know, as, as a whole, you know, coaches, 
athletes, whatever, the best thing about it, you know, you want to make sure you're uh, fulfilling your whole time that you're actually training to make sure that you're actually getting better, you know, and actually getting towards hitting your goal. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of times, like, I know I've done it. Obviously you just said it. We've all done it where you kind of like, all right, yeah, it's been a long day. I got through my major lifts. Um, the accessories not really important today, but it's those accessory movements that change everything. And it's that extra yeah. two, three sets, every single lift that change everything. You know, it's the one, uh, it's one of the, it's the same picture we've all seen where it, it's a, uh, or at least coaches, athletes I've seen, and it's the all the f- football players are running some kind of sprint, suicide, whatever. And you've got everybody split on the line except for one kid, and it's what three, four inches from the line, and it just mm-hmm. says that's the difference between winning and losing. Yeah. Or whatever, yeah. whatever the phrase is. I mean, it's the same idea, no matter yeah. no matter what you do. Yeah. Um. So just. For me, it, it I, I kind of started smiling there a second ago because I thought of a, like the perfect example to kind of um, demonstrate what we mean by like, are you actually putting in the work? Um, so just think like for the off season of the NFL, um, I'm sure anybody that follows sports saw these videos comparing two professional athletes, um, Derrick Henry and Jameis Winston. Um, <laughs> you see Derrick Henry doing a workout and it's like, wow, like you're just amazed at the work he's putting in. And then you see Jameis Winston's workout and you're like, what is he doing? Like, I mean, you can pick anybody off the street to do this and like, but you're supposed to be a professional athlete. Yeah. <laughs> so like it, that, that's like your prime example of putting in the work versus just showing up like yeah he did his workouts he did something but I mean he didn't do what he needed to do and one of them's having a stellar season right now and the other one I don't even know what team he's on um I was thinking that but I wasn't 100% positive um (laughs) but yeah um it's just that extra effort like if you're doing four sets of something and then the person next to you is doing five well guess what the person next to you is winning um, and I'm not saying necessarily compare yourself to what others are doing. What I'm saying is, are you putting out maximum effort for what you can do? Are you giving it your all every single time you hit the gym? Are you giving it your all every t- single time you are uh, trying to push your business? Are you giving it your all every single time you go to work or whatever it may be? Is you giving everything you got? Yeah, and it, I mean, I know yeah. some of that stuff kind of gets uh, catered towards like athletes and coaching and stuff like that but yeah this is uh you know pretty much all aspects of life but just to go back to athletes in general uh because i know ann's got some of these stats coming up soon but uh on a high school athlete getting ready for college if you think you're going to play in college realize you being the greatest person on your team in high school it does not mean anything when you get to college because in college everybody's good you know, we uh, there, we fall. Everybody falls short to this with saying somebody in college sucks, but they are still above average than the person that's in high school or the person that's not playing in college at all. Um, I think and the then only it, reason they look bad is because of the skill around them. Right, yeah. exactly. Like when you're in, they, I mean, you can break it down back to high school. You know, in high school, yeah, he was a 
he or she was a freak of an athlete and they was dominating all the time on the court, this and this and that. And then think about how many athletes you know like that that all of a sudden disappear when they get to their college career because mm-hmm. everybody's good. And then from college, this uh, the percentage that actually goes pro gets even smaller than that. And I mean, I know certain things when, when it comes to uh, pro is more money oriented, but like just talking about Jameis Winston, Jameis Winston, we say, you know, he's out of shape, he's fat, he's slow, he's this and that but he is still getting paid on the team. So he is still something above the average. None of us, even in this podcast right here, none of us can go out there and try out for an NFL team right now. No. I, there's, there's, <laughs> like, be like, man, he sucked. He ain't worth all that money, but are you worth that money? Uh-huh. Yeah. They're like, hey, let's, let's be honest. Like these guys, these, uh, you know, these women, these uh, men, they get these, uh, they get these contracts and, you know, everything is, the pressure is a lot harder because, Every time when you think about it, you're thinking about money. How long can I play this sport so I can get paid? It's well, just like even Tom Dodgers. Brady, whatever they, they they started getting on him because of his his start to the season. Yeah, and I'm like it's a brand new offense, it's a brand new line. There's you so know, many things that are different. You can't just expect somebody to go right into it. The yeah. culture was different completely too, because the, I mean, like uh, people don't think about it all the time. And you know, obviously, if you know who I am, I'm an Atlanta Falcons fan, and our tragic of a season that we're having right now. Uh, Atlanta Falcons had Brett Favre as a quarterback a long time ago. A lot of people do not know that. Brett Favre was actually a rookie quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons. Do we think Brett Favre would have been a Hall of Famer if he would have stayed with the Falcons compared to being a Hall of Famer going to Green Bay? Me personally, being an Atlanta Falcons fan, I hate to say it, but no. I don't think he would have been a Hall of Famer because it goes – that aspect goes to the culture that's around you, your coaching staff, and then your attitude that you have. Now, I could be completely wrong. I mean, I could, I mean, anything could have happened. If we would have kept Brett Farr and the coaching staff would have, you know, had a different mindset because obviously a lot of the offenses are wrapped around the strengths of your quarterback who's going to control the offense during the time. Um, so, I mean, he could have been a Hall of Famer, but we don't really know. Yeah. things change. The attitude changes. His work ethic going to Green Bay probably was a lot different in his work ethic than it was being in Atlanta. We see that a lot of times with a lot of big-time athletes, especially like uh, the major leagues for baseball. You have an athlete that's a freak of an athlete on one team. He gets traded, and then you're like, okay, uh, what happened? Uh, like, uh, I'm going to go back to the Atlanta Braves. We was happy to get BJ and Justin Upton, and then we was like, "Oh yeah!" And then they go, oh, "God, these brothers!" <laughs> it's like, you know, BJ was still great, but then we was like, "Justin, go sit on the bench." <laughs> and I mean, he, that kind of that, that kind of that, that kind of goes to as well. Um, are you adapting as well? Because you can come in and put in, uh, you know, the work every single day. But as the work need to change, is you changing the work that you're doing? Right. Because, or like, let's say the change for Brett Favre going from the Falcons to Green Bay, what he did at the Falcons wasn't going to work in Green Bay. So, and what he did with Green Bay wasn't going to work in Minnesota. So he had to change and adapt. Um, from situation to situation. And I mean, that's, let's just take it back to fitness, for example. Um, you're, let's say you're overweight and you're trying to lose weight. 
Uh, so you, ha you have a nutritionist set your macros for you. Um, well, guess what? Let's say you lose 30, 40 pounds on those macros, but you're still not where you want to be. But you continue following those same macros. Well, guess what? You haven't adjusted your macros to fit your new goal. Like you haven't changed anything about the work you're trying to put in to actually meet the goal you're trying to hit. So you have to be able to change and adapt to um, actually hit goals and push yourself and uh, be better and actually put in the work that you're trying to do. Well, then you have you have to you have to be in the right training. Um, yeah, there was some I was just thinking about. And I just brought it up. Um, no, Sean Moreno uh, from one season to the other got into yeah. CrossFit. And uh -huh. after he did that, now mind you, he was in the best, we'll say best shape, what he said, of his life. He dropped, I think, 15, 20 pounds. His touches went down. His yards went down. His injuries went up. And mm -hmm. his whole body was not set for football. Yeah, I mean, it's not about going to the gym. It's about doing it right when you get to the gym. Yep. Or the facility, wherever you lift. And it's it's weird to think that so many people believe that certain styles, like everyone trains the same. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's never true. Like, you know, never. what is it? Um, just like two different sisters. You've got one, I've got one. They train totally different, totally yeah. different. I mean, a lot of the movements are the same, but how they uh -huh. do them are so vastly different, even though it doesn't seem like it. Uh -huh. And I think that's where, you know, you have some of these coaches and Santuan and I have talked about this a lot that these coaches want to train their athletes like volleyball players. They want to train them like football players. And uh -huh. it's just like, they're not going to squat like that. They're not going to bench that much. They're not going to do all these things, but they want to push them in a way where they think, Oh, it's going to work. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And it's just, it's hard to watch. Um, I know some of those stats we were talking about, um, I actually found the whole high school NCAA percentages. Um, let's see. Uh, which which sport you want to hear about first? Because we've got pretty much all of them right here. Um, and this is, if anyone's curious, this is updated of April 8th of this year. So if anyone wants let's to say start, this is out of date. Let's say, let's start with the bigger sports and then go down to the smaller sports because it is, is a little depressing when you start talking about like softball and all those other ones. <laughs> All right, so we'll go we'll go football first since pretty much the U.S. runs on football. All right, so you've got a million. It says we'll say one million six thousand thirteen high school participants, and you've got only seventy three thousand seven hundred twelve NCAA participants. Seven point three percent. Now, out of that seven point three percent, two point nine goes to Division One. 1.9 goes to Division 2, and 2.5 goes to Division 3. Now, there is a weird curve in a lot of this, and I'm not sure if it's just program availability, which I think is what it is for Z2, but there's a downward curve in pretty much every single sport from D1 down in percentage, I mean the huge drop, to D2, and then skyrocket back up, we'll say, up to D three, I think it's just I think it's just a D two availability. Yeah, because all D two schools don't have football. Like they, you know, they decide uh, what sports that 
they're actually going to hold at their college kind of thing. Yeah. So. I think, too, also, too, because, like, uh, and it's weird. It's weird that it's that way, though. I've seen it where money, money-wise, too, not just because the school don't have the sport. A lot of times I've seen it where D2 or D3 schools will give more money than a D2 school. Yeah. Um, so when you're when you're trying to go play a sport, but you know, hey, I'm gonna go to a smaller level to develop myself and then transfer more. A lot of times I've talked to a lot of athletes and they're like, you know, you know, I'm just gonna go to a JUCO, you know, I'm gonna go to JUCO two years, it's cheap, they'll pay, you know, full ride, whatever, and then hopefully I can go D one. Yeah. Or, you know, go D2, go D3, whichever. I know, you know, usually you don't see too many going from JUCO to D3, but, uh, you know, because it's pretty much like a lateral move, not necessarily, but it, in some ways it is a lateral move as far as, like, competitiveness. But, like, yeah, the D2 schools, I think, and a lot of times, I hate this, I don't think this is completely true, but a lot of the D2 schools are private, too. Yes, they are. They are a lot more private uni- or universities or colleges and stuff. They're like private, so they're more expensive. And when you get in that money situation like you're talking, it makes it harder to go there. But it's also a situation where I know from my experience of playing D2, um, there was a lot of actual D1 players on the team. Like, they went D1 to start. And then the D2 went out and kind of recruited those players that was like, okay, you – got into some trouble at D1, so come play for us. Or uh, you weren't quite good enough at D1, so come play for us. So that leaves less room for the high school athletes when they're going up to pull them down um, yeah. as well. So just to continue with all of that, so we've got 73,712 kids in NCAA. Now jump to the draft eligibility, 16,380. Number of the actual draft picks, and drafted are the same at two two hundred fifty four. Okay, so we're at like minuscule numbers now. NCAA to major pro, which is all we have, one point six percent. Now we take that two fifty four and put it in that one million. You only get a point zero two five percentage. And so when you have those kids, I mean, you have like we talked about last time, uh, Inky Johnson. You have that that that's those stories like that. A lot of them exist, but it's just the moment you get to that level, it's who's putting in. I, don't, I think it's a mixture of who's putting in the work at the right times and the right ways, and then who has the overall true potential and genetics to then mm-hmm. take it to the next level. Yeah, because I mean, I've I've seen. I mean, just speaking on percentages, I've seen players on and like when I played D two, um, they were breaking records for like the CIAA, like. They're holding records, but yet they're not the ones that the professionals are looking for. Like, it's something about them, whether it's um, physically or um, their attitude or whatever it may be. um, They're just not, they don't quite fit what the pros were looking for. So, none of them got drafted, none of them got picked up, um, that kind of thing. And I think that's where a lot of them get, get lost, though. Because they, they, they feel like that they, they can't make it. I mean, there's so many D3 athletes now that are making bigger steps or they're getting into better coaching positions or they're just finding better opportunities. I think a lot of it's just because they've realized the odds are just not in their favor. And so they have to work that much harder. Did, I mean, it, did this, I mean, that also goes into part of the whole topic uh, 
are they putting in all the effort? They're they're knowing exactly where you know you know where you're at with your sport, and then what what can you do to perfect where you're at right now? Like as as far as me, like I know I'm never going to be on the USA team. Uh, what I, I mean, I, I do a lot of things when it comes to weightlifting. I'm getting better in some aspects and this and that, working with my mobility coming from a powerlifting background and such. Uh, but knowing that I, I am working to perfect everything that I'm doing now because I know I am going to probably be a great master athlete in the long run. Um, you know, hopefully, you know, I, my body is still moving well in my forties and fifties and stuff like that. And I can still can compete. So that's pretty much where I'm look. you know, you kind of just like laying it all out. That's what I'm working towards. It's the same thing with uh, being uh, a high school athlete, you know, what your actual level is. Uh, hopefully your coach is talking to you and preparing you for whatever uh, level that you want to go to. And then you're working to make sure that you're going to be great at that level. And then when you get to that level, you have a new coach, a new coaching mindset, a new philosophy. Hopefully you're working with their philosophy and everything else, because obviously I know how some college kids are and I've seen it, you know, face to face. They're like, ah, oh, man. Well, you're not in high school anymore. Like, you, like I'm teaching you how to do it either better or, you know, you know, nah, I guess there's no other way to say it. But, yeah, I'm teaching you how to do this better to make sure you're doing, you know, you're not hurting yourself. You're becoming a better athlete, whatever. I've even had that with um, with trying to, like, I've had other athletes that I train now. Uh, and and then it's, it's a change, you know. They always have the effort going into it, but it is a change going from one coaching style to another because everybody has philosoph different philosophies. Uh, like all three of us sitting in this video, we all have three philosophies, but it all goes, you know, we all kind of cone back into the same thing, no matter what we, you know, there's several ways to skin a cat, but as yeah. long as you're making sure you, you may meet the goal that you're supposed to hit. Yeah. I mean, I, I think of it like this too. Um, so we, me, me and Aunt kind of had this conversation before as far as like what level you're playing at. Like you can go, you got to know the tied into what Santamon's saying. You can go and know what level you want to play at, but know what level you can be great at. So let's say mm -hmm. you can make it on a D1 team, um, but you're not going to play. You're going to sit the bench. You're just going to kind of be on the team versus going to a D2 team and being the star of that team. Well, guess what? Now you've just upped your chances of, of making it pro. Yeah. Um, so if you go to – the D2 level and you put in the work and like you wake up every day, you're hustling, you're trying to get it done and you're trying to make it. Yes. You have a better chance now at the D2 level than you did sitting the bench on the D1 level. Um, and I kind of look at it like this as well. If you look at let's, let's take it to basketball real quick. Uh, let's look at Kentucky. A, a lot of the stars that Kentucky produce in the NBA, if you look at their numbers at Kentucky, they're horrible. And that goes back to what Santuan's saying, like coaching style changes. Um, like Devin Booker. Devin Booker averaged, what, six points in Kentucky? And now in the NBA, he's balling. Carl Anthony Towns averaged around five points, uh, maybe four rebounds. And he gets to the NBA, and he's one of the best young talents there. Like, when your coaching style change, you have to be willing to listen to them. 
And that's all I can say that Devin Booker did is like he got to the NBA and he listened to his coaches like, hey, this is. And I promise you, I see something in you where you can be great. He got there. He listened to him and look at him now. He's one of the best shooting guards in the league. (laughs) Sorry, but you froze for a second with the prettiest face. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) All right. I mean, so, I, just, <laughs> okay, just to piggyback off of what uh, Leslie was just saying, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's learning to adapt and adjust going to each level, uh, knowing where you're great at. Um, you never know. Being a D2 athlete is probably where you need to be at, but at the same time, you put in that effort. If you put in the effort that you need to put in, you never know. You may go pro. There are D- D2 athletes that go pro. There are JUCO athletes that go pro. Now, usually some of those JUCO athletes that go pro, they are at the uh, the higher levels. But, I've, I mean, we've all seen um, – what's the show uh, on Netflix? Dang. I watch it, like, every year. I can't even think of it right Last now. Last Chance You. Yeah, there you go. Last Chance You. You got um, Last Chance You. They're at these uh, JUCO schools. They do as well as they can, but they also – like, their coaches, especially this last one, this last one, that coach was, like, being – like, this was the first time I've actually seen – one of the coaches, like, be real with them, be like, hey, I'll let you know right now, your grades suck, this and that. You need to look at a D2 or a D3 school. Or you can come back here for another year. I mean, it's just knowing, you know, knowing your worth and being – and not being one of those ones that constantly keep chasing after something. Not necessarily – not. I hate to say it this way because you need to chase after your goals, but you need to be realistic about your goals at the same time. Because when you're realistic about your goals, you can actually put – all that effort that we're talking about into it. I had to do a conversation with one of my athletes. And when I actually talked to her about what her goals was, everything just like fell into place because I was trying to push her to a level that she wasn't ready for. She's not ready for that level. I don't, it doesn't matter necessarily how bad I want it. It was just how, whatever at the time and where she's at right now or what she wants. And then once we had that conversation, uh, that conversation, and uh, I kind of changed the programming because I realized I was pushing her too hard for something that she wasn't ready for. She was only comfortable with doing this certain level, but not ready to go all the way to the top level. And once we did all that, everything just like kind of fell into place. She, you know, she's back on track. She's killing it in the weight room. Everything feels good. You know, so it's it's just you know a lot of times it's also with not it's not just on the athlete itself but the coach has to have that conversation with the athlete to make sure that they're staying on it. Because a lot of times I think we, as coaches, we are, we get too much involved as far as like, we're just only listening to what we want them to do. Yeah. Rather than listening to what they want to do to a certain degree. I know that's the old school way of, it was kind of like my way or the highway. I'm not, I don't care what you want. You're on my team. This is what we're going to do. But now a lot more too now. Yeah. A lot of, and a lot of times, like now, you have to you have to really listen to your athlete. I, uh, there's a, a coach at University of Texas, uh, strength coach there, and he's he's always big on it. He had a, a YouTube video that went very popular back in uh, 2012, 2011, somewhere around there. And um, and it was like the one thing that stuck out to me. He was like, "You gotta love on them. You gotta love on these kids. You gotta love on these kids." And most of these coaches was like, um, "Bump that!" Like. No, you came to me this time to grow up, but like it is the generations are completely different. 
and not and not necessarily just the younger athletes that we deal with, but even our older older athletes because it's not just they're not just going to school and training anymore. They got real jobs. They got real issues. They got real bills. So what are they going through in their life on the outside? Are we still constantly beating them up as so they feel like they're unsuccessful all day long? Yeah, yeah. There's got to be some kind of win in there. Yeah, it doesn't have to be huge, but there's got to be some kind of win that even though you know they're going to come back, it makes them want to come back more each time. Right. And it's that like mental within the mental game of lifting and adding in those little steps. And um, I mean, okay, so even to like get back to those stats, I think our next big one is what probably baseball. Uh, either baseball or basketball. Baseball or what? Or basketball. Uh, here we'll we'll just go with basketball because it's actually a little bit more shocking than uh, football. Um, so you cut the participants down about half, 540,000, um, high school participants. Then you go down lower than that, than what, way lower than what football was. You got 18,816. So we've already gone to 3.5% instead of 7.3. From there, you got 1% of the, out of the three and a half, 1% goes to D1, one goes to D2 and 1.4. So there's a little loss here and there with like JUCO and community college probably. Um, 1.4 goes to D3. Um, then if we go from that, out of the 18,000, you've got 4,000, almost 4,200 draft eligible. Out of that, you have 60 drafted, or 60 draft picks, 52 drafted. You got one per 1.2% to a major pro and then percentage, it says percentage to total pro, I would guess that's overseas. Yeah. yeah. And like D-League and all that. Is, yeah, uh, I would say G-League and um, overseas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 21%. So obviously you have the potential. You have a better chance, obviously, to go lower. But it's the pay is like playing a – it's like working a regular day job. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, think about the guy that played for the Lakers. Uh, he was in the G League for a long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. even when when he was in it, it was called a D League. So oh. it was D League and then it switched to G League. And then he played for the Lakers. I think he had like 20-something points in one game. Uh, just needed, you know, coming back. And now he's the president of the G League. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, I mean, that's a step up in itself, man. You start wanting something you were playing for. Yeah. I mean, it's basically. Well, he was like in his late 30s when he played. I was going to say late 30s might have been already 40 by the time he made it to the NBA. And Oh, yeah. Wasn't that, wasn't this just like a couple years ago, too? Yeah, it was like. Yeah, yeah. he he played with Kobe. Oh, that's right. I remember that. Okay. But I, I, I think it's one of those things like you have the. Was it the emergency quarterback for the Eagles? He's getting uh-huh. paid twelve and a half thousand a week to stay at home uh-huh. and just be ready to step in. That's all it is. I mean, he's forty-one, I think, but yeah. something says something about that forty-one-year-old. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, that also that I mean, being on a practice squad, a lot of people don't think about. There are a lot more people on these teams that you don't see. Uh, and like you were saying, the person gets paid a weekly. Yes, uh, the practice squad, they get paid every single week. 
uh, you know, be a practice dummy or whatever. But those guys are actually still in there putting in that effort because, I mean, there is a certain amount of money that they get paid per week. Now the money stops as soon as the season's over with because you never know if you're technically still going to be on the practice squad because you got to start that process all over again. So if you want to actually look at somebody that, and I'm not just only just pointing out these guys that are um, that are putting in this effort, but guys that were walk-ons like I was uh, at Coastal and then, you know, guys that are on practice squads in the NBA, guys that are, are – you know, uh, single A, double A, triple A in baseball, these guys that are all waiting on their shot, these are the ones that you can actually look at and see that they, if you want the prime example of, are you putting in that work? Because they know at any time they can go home. When you have that feeling of at any time you can go home, you you know every single day, no matter how you're feeling, you're going to have to give 150% because you're trying to get your shot. You're just trying to work towards your shot. And when that shot comes, you got to be ready for it. I mean, let's take it to um, Tom Brady, for instance. Look at him when he was well, – I mean, he was still a rookie. No, he wasn't a rookie um, whenever uh, Drew Bledsoe got hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, Probably in uh, one or two years. Yeah, I think he was like in his second year. And, you know, they was actually thinking about cutting him. Um, but, you know, next thing you know, Drew Bledsoe gets hurt and – then it's his time to shine. He gets his chance to get in the game, and he didn't look back because he knew he had already put in the work. He knew he had already did what he needed to do, and he had prepared himself for the situation. And he gets in, and he makes the best of his situation. And now look at him. I mean, he's arguably the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. Yeah. yeah. And even, like, these backup guys, you got RG3, uh, Teddy Bridgewater he was a backup guy. For, I mean, yeah. Like a few of the greats, you know, he was behind Drew Brees and all these other things. He did get traded to Carolina, but now he is the starter. Uh, That's the other thing. You have all these, you have, just like you were saying, you have these backups that were huge names about what five years ago where they were just in Garoppolo. Yeah. And, and yeah. some of them are starting and some are only having to wait because of who's in front of them. I mean, yeah. it's the same idea as going to a power five and putting in your two, three years just to have your one year to shine. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And it, 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 like we was talking about Kentucky earlier, <laughs> that is pretty much like, or maybe Alabama. Alabama is more of a better, a more a better example. Alabama, um, it's been said that Nick Saban will tell you, like, especially like if you're running back or something like that. I don't know if a lot of people realize, but a lot of times when you start under realizing who the running back is, they are already a junior, senior, or fifth year senior, because they yeah. uh, they go in knowing they are not going to play until the running back that is ahead of them is done. Uh-huh. They run a two-back system, and that is it. Sometimes it's only one back, you know? And it's like, if you you may be all four of your years and you never actually got your name, you know, be a great special teams person, do your part. Uh, but it's, it's you're falling in line, and every single day, somebody is watching you. Every single day, somebody's watching you. Are you hitting the weight room right? Are you doing your breakfast check? Are you going to treatment? Like, all that stuff matters. Like, I remember being um, – at Georgia Southern, and I was, like, having to tell these guys, uh, like, when they had to come in a breakfast check, be like, all right, you came in, but, like, actually go eat. Don't don't just, like, wave your hand at me and be like, hey, I'm here, coach. No, 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 go eat. Yeah. I want to yeah. see you play. Go eat. And they, then once you go to training. They were talking about that during the Bama game and how uh, 
they're the true freshman quarterback uh, actually got time during the Mississippi State game, but they were saying how Mac Jones just didn't let him win. And, you know, it was the fact that the kid could have won the starting position, but Mac Jones is like, no, nah, like, uh, you, you still got to earn it. You're not going to get it just because you're good. Yeah, and then you yeah. had Mechie, who steps up uh, when um, Waddle got hurt, broke his ankle. Mm-hmm. And then you now you have the who's the I think the fourth fourth string wide receiver of Slade, who is now the uh, kick return or sorry punt return. And I mean it sounds really funny, but I look like who's this white kid catching the ball about to run back? <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things, and that that's where he he's probably like, all right, this is it, this is it, this is it. You know, I was thinking I'm gonna have to wait a whole year. I've now had my time. Obviously, it's very unfortunate circumstances, but yeah. it's one of those things. Like, and those guys understand that work ethic, and then they they push those other guys when they get the chance to do their job. Yeah, I um I was never the greatest athlete, so I've always worked with guys that were better than me because I wanted to be on their level. I've always had that mentality. I wanted to be better than what I was, so I'm going to work out with somebody that is stronger than me. That's how I got to where I am right now. Um, even in the sport of weightlifting, I work out with people that are better than me because I want they they push me and I'm trying to chase to where they're at. You know, uh, so those guys that are sitting there pushing and fighting, like you're saying, like you're fighting for a role, somebody is making you better in the process. So don't always look at it as you lost your position and then you want to go whine and go sit down. No, look at it as a competition. You know, you got uh I uh, Jalen Hurts, you got Jalen Hurts and Tua. So Jalen Hurts was the starter. Tua was just sitting there. He outworked him. Now, now necessarily, I don't know if he outworked him per se, but Jalen Hurts made a couple of decisions that weren't starter-worthy uh, decisions that made him go sit on the bench. But he, I mean, he stood behind Tua the whole way for a whole year. He, uh, he supported him. He got him ready. He went to another team. And then, you know, he did his thing for his last year, and now he's in a pro. You know, he's a pro now. So, I mean, like, that's the type of stuff that we look at. Like, you, uh, as a coach, like, are you putting in that work? And when you lose your position, are you still putting in that work? Because yeah. it's not always going to go your way. Uh, I mean, you and, got, and that's huge for – especially when you get down to the, the high school level. Yeah. Is you got those kids who – and I've had parents tell me – I'm sure you guys have heard something close to this was, you know – well, he's uh, pitting them against each other. What do you expect is going to happen? Like, you're, you're competing for a spot. I don't understand. This isn't yeah. a battle to the death. Like, no. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not giving them a, you know, like a five-pound weight. Said, okay, last one to come out gets to start. <laughs> yeah, some people don't realize, like, sometimes the competitiveness actually brings the best out of you. I know a lot of people try to uh, defer away from that. Sometimes they feel like they're getting – uh, picked on or they feel like you know like you were saying like it feels like a battle royale almost to a certain degree but that's not what we want we're trying to pull the best out of you I'm going to sit you because I need something more out of this person um, I coached uh, offense defensive uh, league so I had like the young kids I was a defense coordinator for the young kids and I remember I had a parent that came up to me and was like hey you know he's going to be this this and this and that and I'm like eh, well let's just see you know I got it you know, everybody out here is an all-star. Like, it's an all-star weekend. Like, if if he wins the position, that's what he's going to do. 
the kid did not win the position. You know, the dad cussed me up and down all the way, what have you. But I put him, uh, I mean, he was trying to make him be the quarterback, and I put him as my defensive end. He had five tackles. Yeah. He was, better, he was just better for us to be as a defensive end than the guy that we are, the kid that we had in as a quarterback. That, I mean, it's just, I mean, like we were talking about last week with the whole parent situation. A lot of times you have to let the coach be the coach and do it. Like, yes, you're, you know, little Johnny is the greatest thing in the world. I got it. I know. But this, <laughs> and Blake over here, and then you got San Juan, you got Lester, you got Ant. You know, yes, they're all great. We got it. But let's put them in the right position that they really need to be in rather than what you want them to be in. That's huge, too, is – you know, it's it's probably a good thing that the kid has to play or the athlete has to play something they're not used to. It's going to yeah. make you think that you have to problem solve in a different way. I mean, at least uh-huh. at least it gets your 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 logic, like the logical side of your brain working, and you're going, okay, I'm maybe I'm not as good in in the spot I was in. What can I do to be really good in where I'm at now? Because I kind of don't have a choice anymore. So why not yeah. just make the best out of the situation? Yeah, I mean, for for example, um, just when I was playing high school uh, football, um, going into my senior year, I knew, like, I was the best offensive lineman on the team. I knew I was the best lineman that we had. Um, But we we brought in a new new coach. And up front, he he saw some potential in me, but it, it was some stuff that I did that he didn't like. So what did he do? He benched me. Um, he benched me for our spring games. Uh, he benched me for um, our preseason scrimmages. And then even going, I didn't play in our jamboree. Even our very first game, he benched me the whole first half. It wasn't until halftime of that game, the head coach walks up to me. He's like, all right, Lester, go in, and I don't want to see you back on this sideline the rest of this game. But what that did for me is that pushed me because every single day I was going to practice trying to get my spot back because I knew I didn't have it. And but then after, you know, going in at halftime of that game, I came back. I came to practice every single day with that same attitude, like, okay, I don't want this to happen again. So, like, I pushed myself the rest of the season that much harder. And because of it, I did make it to college. That's hard to teach somebody. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you're either you're either born with it or you're not in a sense. I think I think once you hit that hurdle, like do you jump over it or you just walk away from it? Yeah. Cause I mean, and this is I mean, I wanna talk about something I don't normally disclose to people, but like struggling with, with club right now is mm-hmm. hearing why was just like I laughed because I couldn't believe it. And we all had this conversation. But yeah. it was, you know, well the practices were too intense and I went you know, I'm sitting there going, well, why are you playing athletics? Yeah. If it's too difficult, why are you playing athletics? Because I'm not, I mean, and you can ask the coach that was, that I had last year, you know, we did not have a demanding practice because we were having a hard enough time trying to get through basic things. We we're having a hard enough time trying to push energy and drive and work ethic, which those things you should never have to coach, but no. we had to. And so- no. What do you do to explain that whole thing? You, there's nothing you can do except accept what's happened and realize, well, you're probably better off without those people. And those yeah. kids, those kids are better off doing something either long term in a cubicle or having someone be their boss or 
you know, they're going to learn something the hard way. You know, I, I, I feel bad for some of those, we'll say athletes that end up giving up athletics or they do something else that's obviously easier for them or they, you know, if they find something, say, that's what wasn't for them, awesome. Find what you enjoy. But don't find something you enjoy because it's easy. Find something you yeah. enjoy because you love it and not and not you love it because it's easy. You love it because yeah, it's a challenge. You don't truly love it unless whenever you're putting in the work to be great at it is enjoyable. Like for me, like putting in this specifically say coaching, me trying to become a better coach, me watching other people's podcasts, like watching um, just educational That's stuff. That's huge in itself is just yeah. doing, is putting yourself out there saying, I'm not the best every day and watching someone and saying they're smarter than me in some yes. way. Yeah. Uh-huh. And just doing that, and I mean, for me, it's not like a struggle. It's not something that stresses me out. It's like I can sit there and I've lost track of time, and I'm like, uh-oh, I got other work to do. Like, <laughs> let me get back on track and do the work I know I need to be doing versus sitting. I know I'm, I'm still sitting here learning, and I'm trying to improve myself, but I still got other stuff I need to do. And that's the kind of process that you should be going through to where, let's say you're an athlete and you go to the gym. You've lost track of time at the gym because you're trying to get that much better. Like that's mm-hmm. what it should be like for an athlete going to the gym. I mean, I've had I've had my moments where you're like, you don't want the lift to end, or you don't yes. want practice to end. I think I think that's when you know you are loving what you're doing. You're infatuated yeah. with the process, and you don't want to quit. Yeah, and I mean, let's tie that back even to just general population like when you first start yes it's going to feel like a struggle um but you gotta fall in love with that process of whether it's losing weight or putting on muscle or whatever your goal may be you want to become a power lifter or a weightlifter or a bodybuilder whatever you're trying to do you gotta fall in love with that process of doing it like let's say you've lost 10 pounds real quick and then you hit a plateau Well, you got to know that plateau is coming and be like, okay, I'm going to attack this plateau even harder than I attack this first 10 pounds. Like um, you got to just chase after it like that. And you got to continue putting in the work that you know you need to do that work you initially put in. You got to continue with that and build on it in order to continue seeing results. Yeah. And I know there's, there's a couple of people and I know we'll have to sit and, think this out but I, there's a couple of coaches i'd love to kind of like try and bring into this uh-huh. and just have them like you know strength coaches uh, different athletics coaches and it's more i think for me it's become more of the mental side like how do you coach i want to know how you coach i don't care about yeah. your titles i don't care about your achievements i want to know how you coach uh-huh. because obviously that's what's led to everything uh-huh. and like, what was your process like? Like, you know, you look at, like we were talking about Bama. You look at Nick Saban. Look where he started. Started at Kent State. You know, it's nothing, you know, I'm not shaking a stick at Kent State. It's D1. But, I mean, look at the path he took. And he went he went all the way to the pros, but then realized, you know, the pros didn't fit him. College is what fit him. But he had to take that up and down and that back and forth until he realized his what his path was and what his, his niche was. That also goes back to what Santuan said is realizing what level you're at and realizing what you can be great at because Nick Saban could have stayed a professional coach, I'm sure, and been 
a, a bad one or maybe an average one, but he decided, no, I want to be great at what I do. So let me go back to college and be one of the best college coaches to ever play. I mean, to ever coach like it is, is realizing where you're at and what your potential is to be and pushing to be that. Yeah. And then imagine producing the amount of coaches that you produce from that one person and uh-huh. then not have any of your assistants be able to beat you, which I think is still amazing. But uh-huh. you, know, you have things like that. And I think that's what all of us as coaches aspire to do is to make an impact like that, which, I mean, the tournament itself is kind of like loses loses its, we'll say, meaning here and there, depending on how you use it. Um, but, you know, I think our impact is that long term. It's not mm-hmm. it's not the, oh, we, we crushed it today. You know, you know, it's about what are we doing for the whole year? You know, I want yeah. to see you six months from now. I don't want to see you six days from now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it, man. Like, because I think some people fall too in love with short-term goals versus the long-term goals. Like, when they don't see the results right away, it's like, well, I guess this isn't working, so why am I doing this? Well, no, you got to look long-term, and you got to just take that short-term – where you're not getting what you think you should be getting, you just got to take that and run with it and push for the long-term goals. And once you have pushed for that and you start seeing those results and you get what you were actually looking for, you'll see that it was all worth it. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's uh, – come on, Sam, you've been quiet this time. Man. It's weird. I know. I'm used to waiting on Matt to be say something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this time we can razz on him because he's not here. So, ha-ha. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah man it's I, I mean i'm still looking at these stats and i think just looking at the percentage in itself is astounding for some of these kids i've even yeah. had kids say oh i, I want to be on the olympic team I'm like i you need to really think about what you just said yeah you know i would okay so i do one thing about the olympic team uh i don't know if a lot of people watch these documentaries and different things like that um but if you aren't trying out for an Olympic team at the age of 12, you go ahead and just hang that up. Yeah. For, I mean, not, and not every sport, uh, because, you know, with weightlifting, obviously you can make the Olympic team coming straight out, you know, after being 21, uh, that, you know, if you were a college athlete, that was a, that was a great athlete in the weight room. You're going to try out for the Olympic weightlifting team. Um, straight out the uh, straight out of college, and you could possibly make the uh, USA team. Um, but when you're talking about gymnastics, the reason why these girls look so young and so short is because they are they are not. They're you know most of these ones by the time they retire, being like I think Gabby retired being on the Olympic team, she was seventeen, sixteen, sixteen, seventeen. Yeah, when she retired, and now she's, like, living the college life. Like, she's uh-huh. actually just an adult now. Um, you got others that were on the Olympic teams. Now they left for different various reasons. But when they got onto these teams and they tried out, they were already at the young age of 11, 12. You know, because – and everybody, you know, even, like, softball. Softball is another one that you can get at a younger age. But the goal of trying to be on an Olympic team – you have to understand if you aren't underneath that radar at a young age, be great at what you're doing right now. 
Because mm-hmm. that'll be the only that'll be the thing you don't want to be that person. I could have made the Olympic team. No, you couldn't. Uh-huh. Because if you could have, you would have tried out. Like don't, yeah. don't, don't don't be like, oh man, I would have went pro if it wasn't for my knee. Mm, no, no, no. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, <laughs> no. I even had I even had a volleyball girl in this area say, I'm gonna be on the Olympic team, and I'm like, well, if you haven't made a high performance. You haven't be made a clinic, or you haven't been seen by a college coach. You haven't been scouted. You haven't been invited anywhere. Then some if of you're that not getting, if you're not getting if you're not on UCLA's uh like not draft uh what is it called recruiting recruiting list. You're not going <laughs> on the Olympics like uh-uh. and like going to UCLA uh what is it UCLA uh Oklahoma Texas Penn State. Who else? Who Stanford. else is there? Stanford. Did I already say Texas? Penn State. Yeah. Oh yeah, Penn State. Stanford. Oregon. Oregon. If you're not on those recruiting lists for volleyball, we're only talking about volleyball here. Uh, hang it up. Yeah. Or It'll Wisconsin, be a great. Well, Wisconsin, Nebraska. You got all the Big Ten and Pac-12. Yeah. Like these. Like those are the schools. Like you know. Like you got a shot. Like um, basketball per se. Like for lesser. Like if you're not on Kentucky's list, UNC. That other Dude. school, North Carolina, that I don't like to talk about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not talking about North Carolina State, the other one. Or Wake Forest. <laughs> the no devils over there. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> like, like, those are the teams that are, like, used to having caliber athletes, like, when you go one year, you go pro. Syracuse. Pro. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Kansas, even there, – there's, there's still plenty of smaller schools. Yeah, there's still plenty. Of, I mean, there was uh the men. Yeah, Wichita State. You got uh, VCU. You got uh, there's others, but you know, you got like you know, Steph Curry went to Davidson, for example. Like, yeah, that was. I remember the whole run up to him. And no one, everyone doubted him. Almost everybody uh-huh. said, "No, there's no way he's doing it." The thing that made me mad about it is I've had plenty of chances to meet Stephen Curry, uh, Stephen Curry, but did not know. Who he was had no idea. I didn't like he went to the, he uh his family comes to Myrtle Beach once a year, and they were like uh they come and visit and whatnot and they would go eat at Benjamin's and everybody like oh my god that's a Curry family I'm like eh whatever like <laughs> and then like until he went pro I was like I could have had this man autographed years ago uh huh years ago and then like um and then when when I went to go coach at Georgia Southern I just missed him by a year. Because everybody would always talk about how tickets would sell out so fast. Because Davidson and Jordan Southern, they were both in the SoCon, SoCon at the time. So, like, when Davidson came to Jordan Southern, like, they had to put a limit on how many people came, went into the basketball arena. And I'm like, man, I did not know this dude was this good. Like, I knew about his dad. Yeah. I mean, he was a pro for the Charlotte Hornets. And I'm like, uh-huh. yeah, I'm like all right, cool, whatever, you know. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, you know, it could be like meeting Michael Jordan's son. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like not that big a deal. <laughs> like, like, is your dad around? Like, like, uh-huh. like you're not pro yet. What I care about you? Like, I want to talk to the pro guy. Uh-huh. Uh, there was even uh, the now the men's national libero, uh, Dustin Watton, who played at Long Beach State. So for like the men's side of volleyball, you got like all the all the California teams, all the West mm-hmm. Coast teams are huge. So. He was when he was a freshman there, like he was a second or third stringer. He like grew into it. Like he had a whole year where he kind of like sank. 
he grew into it and became like player i'm gonna botch some of this stuff but he you know became like player of the year defensive player of the year conference player um then i think he missed he missed the men's national team one year ended up playing pro and then came back and ended up getting on there but it was one of those things like you know he still had to take the chance he still had to work once he got that step and that's it's another one of those things like just because you're a ninth grader does not mean you make jv just because yeah, yeah. just because you go to a certain high school and you're a certain you know you have certain stats about you does not mean you know i'm six five two twenty i can be a tight end no you know it doesn't uh-huh. mean that you're going to be strong it doesn't mean anything i think that's where a lot of people miss and i've heard it from younger athletes now go you know uh she thinks she's all of it because her sister plays at this level and i sit there and go yeah that right there is the problem where you have you have that entitlement for whatever reason and you don't want to work for it Uh i've seen many situations where uh a school will recruit the sibling because is it is it Honestly, it's an easy recruiting tactic. We already have your older sibling, so to get the younger one, and then you realize the younger one is not as good as you thought. Oh, yeah. Uh, or you have a situation like in my family, per se, uh, my brother was actually the better athlete than me. Uh, you know, I'm I'm the oldest, but Brandon was actually the better athlete and all around. Um, so it, it, that entitlement doesn't actually make, mean anything. Like, it, you have to actually be that top athlete or not that's pretty much how uh-huh. it and it's funny um, you say the whole sibling thing because the was it the, the middle middle yeah the middle hitter at marshall her sister is the setter and they already um i think they signed her as a setter incoming setter next year mm-hmm. for two years i can't remember but yeah it is it is funny how that happens and or it, or you get that one location and then you just have this like breeding ground of athletes that somehow pop out of nowhere. Yeah. And you don't have to really sell parents too much either because it's like you already sold the parent one time of uh, we're going to take care of your child. This is, you know, going to be the best place for his or her life for the next four years or so. And then you're like, oh, well, you want to bring in the siblings so they can be better together and they can act- they grew up together. So it's easy for the the young one would just pick up where the older one just left off, you know. There's uh-huh. like there's uh there's two brothers at Oregon State, kind of the same uh, situation. Uh, the younger brother, actually, I think both of them played at that JUCO school on the last uh, season of Last Chance U. The older brother went to Oregon State, and then the younger one, they had no idea what he was going to do because he his work ethic wasn't as great as his brothers, but he was a better athlete on the field. So they didn't know if he was actually going to get recruited by Oregon State because of that. Because, I mean, coaches, you have to be realistic. Yes, you want your athlete to go to the best school, but at the same time, you're putting your name on somebody and they're going to go up there and just stink it up. You know, you want to make sure – you're going to be honest. You're going to be like, hey, uh, his worth ethic ain't that great, but if you want somebody that's ready on game day, <laughs> this is this is your guy. Uh-huh. But, I mean, for me um... – Another big thing that I think of when I think of putting in the work is also taking that chance. One of y'all mentioned it not a, a second ago, um, is making sure you're taking the chance 
on um, making sure your work is being noticed. Because mm-hmm. um, let's say you let's say you want to be an Olympic weightlifter or a power lifter, and you go into the gym every single day, and you're lifting the weight, you're lifting the weight, you're lifting the weight, and you're constantly getting PRs, but you never actually go to a meet. Then I mean, you're not really doing yourself any good. Or let's say you want to be an athlete, where you're practicing and you're trying to get better and you're improving yourself, but you never actually go try out for a team, then there's nothing there that's beneficial for you. So make sure not only are you putting in that extra effort to make sure that you are great, take the chance on yourself and actually go and try it. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's – I don't know. That's – I think that's something that that kids – can learn really well though in the recruiting process and i don't think it takes a lot and obviously this is from us who have either been involved in the recruiting process or have seen it happen um i don't think it takes a lot of effort to contact to do your own work because then it shows do you really love what you're doing are you do you really want to do this for four more years you know because if you do, you gotta you gotta learn. I mean, I had to learn how to set all of this up right here. I had to learn how to work uh, a broadcasting program. I had to learn how to integrate it with a website. Learn how to put it in with Zoom, and so I can adapt. I mean, it's the same thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know? And you have to become master of your domain, no matter what that means. That's it. That is it. That's how you hit it on that one. So not part. The main <laughs> we don't have to say nothing. <laughs> um. Oh. Also, like, uh, let's bring up another sport. Uh, I mean, this probably be the last one. I want to kind of like touch when I was saying uh, that other sports are depressing. Look at like soccer. Uh, men's or women's? Let's go women's because we did a lot of men's. Alright, so women's soccer. Alright, so since soccer's like been booming, it's always boomed. Because I honestly think it's just because of equipment. It's the easiest game. It's like one of the easiest games to play besides basketball. You need mm-hmm. a ball. That's it. Yep. I mean, That's it. same thing with kind of football, almost. But um, so you got about four hundred thousand athletes, uh, high school, and then you got so it going to NCAA. You only have 28,310. So a little bit higher percentage, um, 7.2%. After that, it splits. And this is where the whole D2 thing kind of runs its course. And you've got 2.4 in D1, 1.9 in D2, and 2.9 in D3. And I honestly believe it's not because of the like the whole jump in D3. I think it's just more you have kids that understand their their place. And they want to get a certain thing out of their education. Yeah. I, I think there's more kids in D3 for the reasoning of they love the sport. Right. I mean, uh-huh. that's why you have the, like the, what, the Whitewater and Mountain Union style teams for football where they do nothing but dominate D3. Yeah. Mountain Union is a great school when it comes to uh, college football. They have a lot of rich history there. Yeah, it's 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 something that still 
it still brings me back to the you're playing in college. It's really nothing yeah. else. I don't think it's relevant what level you play on because for me as a coach, and I think for at least for for volleyball and for all of us as strength coaches, if we get to hang that that pennant up on the wall, we get to hang that pennant up on the wall, mm-hmm. and then we get that connection, and then kind of our notoriety and our value goes up. Even if we produce the majority of D3 and D2 athletes, we're still producing college athletes. Obviously, we want to get to D1 and international and pro, but I honestly think that if we can still get that quality out there, that's all that matters. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've seen like a meme um, that made perfect sense to me on Instagram. It said like, D1, D2, D3, all are life-changing. Like, it's all life-changing for, like, the kid. Yeah. Um, like, regardless of which one you go to, you're still continuing to play a sport that you love to play, and you're getting college with it. Yes. So, regardless of which level you go to, it's still life-changing. Yeah. I always thought the coolest thing was getting – <laughs> I mean, everybody else is getting clothing. It's getting all the gear. Uh-huh. That's always the fun part. That Don't get fun. me wrong. Uh-huh. I mean, I love traveling. Is I love it? doing everything. But still, that yeah, was the I, fun part. Miss it. I mean, like being in college, like you didn't buy, you didn't buy clothes. I mean, like yeah, we bought clothes to go out, and every once in a while, you know, <laughs> that. But like the stuff we wore to was really what we was going to wear inside the weight room. You kind of like was already, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, you had your shorts, you had your pants, you know, your sweatpants, depending on what time of the year it was, your sweatshirt, you know, the whole, the whole kit and caboodle, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, the whole thing. Like I was, uh, I was saw a video last week on Instagram. It was like a, a Oregon track runner or a sprinter. And he was like showing what, what as an athlete that you get. Oh as yeah, a- I saw that. You know, Oregon gets so much stuff because, you know, the CEO of Nike uh, went to Oregon. So it's like he was, like, pulling out all this stuff. And I'm like, well, dang, we got half of that. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe not even half because, I mean, like, I remember having one shirt, one pair of shorts. uh, And then, like, your your, uh, winter type stuff like the sweats and whatnot and then your travel your travel gear but like at the end of the year we had to bring our travel stuff back 